Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. You're listening to RTE Radio 1. Now a tribute to filmmaker and honorary Irish citizen John Borman. Recorded shortly before his return to England in November 2022, after 53 years in his beloved home, the Glebe in County Wicklow. Stephen Ray and Kevin Reynolds drove to Animo to say goodbye. With an original score composed and performed by Cullamokanumara, this is Goodbye to the Glebe. Goodbye to the Glebe. That's Stephen Ray. He's mostly known for his dramatic work, but he played in the West End production of High Society, so he can carry a tune. It's a documentary. Uh, who could possibly tolerate Dave Clark Five? Huh? You must have liked him. Catch Us If You Can is a documentary from 1965 on the Dave Clark Five whose popularity at the time rivaled that of the Beatles. Let me go back a bit. It's 10 o'clock on Friday, the 18th of November, 2022. I'm collecting Stephen. How are you, Kevin? I'm good. Good. Lovely morning. It's a beautiful day, a bittersweet one in terms of... I know, I know. Extraordinary. Yeah, it's going to be missed. You look well. Do you? We're on our way to Animo, County Wicklow, to say goodbye to our friend, John Borman. He's leaving Ireland for good on Wednesday. He must be sad to leave himself. I'd say he is. I'd say he's quietly devastated. Will I come now? Do, yeah. All right. It's it's a big signal, isn't it? Yeah. Car journeys generate silences. And as our thoughts drift across the windscreen, I start thinking about the man we're going to visit. And the first time I saw Deliverance, the story of four businessmen who decide to canoe down a river in remote Georgia. They're separated, and two of the party meet a pair of mountain men. I hear John's voice at the height of his career, having made Point Blank, The General, and of course, Hope and Glory. And I remember the master storyteller in a public interview with Miles Dungan. I scan my memories like the tuner in a car radio. Deliverance, based on a book by James Dickey, and you collaborated together on the script, and then then you you cast him as the sheriff, but 
It was a rather intimidating experience for the cast, wasn't it? Well, he was an intimidating man. He was a very large man with these fiery eyes, and uh, he arrived, he was uh, constantly drunk, and uh, I had him attending the rehearsals, and the actors were so intimidated because he kind of glared at them. And uh, in the bar, Dickie would um, say, um, come over here, boy, I want to talk to you, and call them by their characters they were playing, and, and, and the actors just couldn't take it anymore, so I said, all right, well, I'm going to send him away. So I went up to the bar where he was having his uh, pre-lunch drink, and uh, so I said to Jim, uh, look, you'll have to go. So he stood up, towered over me with his fierce eyes, you know, I thought he was going to hit me, and he said, if I'm going, I, I want to say goodbye to the boys. <laughs> I said, okay. So we walked down in silence to the rehearsal room, and we opened the door, went in, and he stood there and he stared at them, and he said, it appears that my presence would be most efficacious by its absence. <laughs> and he turned on his heel and he left, and, and Bert said, does that mean he's going or he's staying? <laughs> Since 1969, John's been a seminal presence in Irish cinema. He produced Angel, Neil Jordan's first film. Angel, made in 1981, is the story of Danny, a saxophone player in a show band. Outside a dance hall, Danny sees both his manager and a non-verbal deaf girl murdered. Angel was Stephen Ray's first film. I saw Angel and um, Skull, you know, in the film festival down there. It's a really great film. It's a fabulous film. I thought you weren't going to answer there. I had to leave the pause. We'll hear more about Angel later on. But for now, just let's say it's so good they named it twice. The film was distributed in certain jurisdictions under the alternative title, Danny Boy. Animal, the forward of the car. Oh, oh, oh. I can't remember any of this. Who owned this house before, John? It was a relation of John Millington Sings. Huh? It was a rectory. The Glebe was owned by Dr. Sam Singh. He was a brother of the playwright Singh, he was the local vicar, and like John, a keen arborist. Did you ever go swimming? Here? Yeah. No. John's 64 acres of land is bisected by the Avonmore River. There's a swimming hole with a diving board. The water is bracing, and the dress code is, well, optional. Trees are a huge achievement, aren't they? Oh, to be able to plant a forest. It's really something. At least he was taking on the government's work, you know. There should be oak trees replaced all over the country. Absolutely. The glebe is heavily wooded with oak, aspen, birch, as well as the sequoia giganticus, a rare eight-stemmed sycamore. There's also a monkey puzzle tree. Where'd you park there? Keep it there away. Get your man out if he wants to get out. See? Well, will you, um. There we are. Will you. Are you sure that he's going to let me in? I'm sure he will. 
720. I stand still as a tree with my recorder. I'm trying to bottle the atmosphere, just as John documented the ebb and flow of life at the Glebe in his nature diary, one eye, one finger. Two years ago, a cuckoo perched in a tree just outside my kitchen door. Its cry at close quarters is harsh and ear-splitting. A natural history cameraman friend of mine nursed the ambition to photograph a cuckoo laying its egg in another bird's nest. In the fifth year of his attempts, he finally photographed the cuckoo laying her egg. I saw the final result. She dived in, laid her egg, and left. I held the 35mm film in my hands. It was over in 13 frames. There are 25 frames per second. So it took just over half a second. John's daughter comes to meet us. Hello. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm Daisy. Hello, Daisy. How are you? Um, how are you? I just, I've... We're still COVID cautious. Stephen Ray, how are you? Da Daisy. Are we, are we touch each nice other? to meet you. I was hoovering, and didn't I... Didn't a little ball go up the blinking thing, and it's got stuck, and I can't open the thing? So I'm going to try and push it through. Are you, not, are you not used to hoovering? Oh, yeah. I hoover not, all bloody all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, a little ball was in the corner. And it went up and it's gotten stuck and I can't open anything. Come on in. Thank you. Are you Thank sure? You. Dad's inside waiting for you. Aren't you the guys from, um, is it RTE or not? He's from RTE. You're the RTE one and you're the other one. <laughs> yeah. In the kitchen, we meet Jerry Trainer, John's neighbour and friend. How are you? How are you going? Good to see you again. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're OK. Now, is it tea or coffee? I'd like tea, please. With milk and sugar? No milk. Black tea, nothing. You're else. easy. Black tea and a nice little cookie. Oh, it's nice little cookie. A cookie? You're OK with a yeah. cookie? I'll have tea with milk, please. And sugar? No sugar. Tea with milk. You're both very easy, aren't you? <laughs> I, like, I like customers like you. <laughs> You're busy, busy, Stephen. Yeah, it's just busy as you want. Well, I, uh, I, I was, there was a film festival in Belfast that I was on the jury. And I like watching four movies a day. Oh, it's hard work, you know. And yeah. there was a... To keep your concentration, I say, you know, is... I know. And to do justice to them. Oh, yeah. I'll walk away there. There's people keep phoning me from Limerick. Three, the three people. What is that? Three? Is that some...? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, the marketing uh, products they have. That's, that's what it is, you know. Do I, do I look like a man who needs marketing products? <laughs> no, What's of course that? they don't know what well, I do. Well, we go in. Well, we go in. Yeah. Nervous. Yeah, we go in. Want to do something yeah. But Well, we wait for a tea, though. Oh, sure, no, I'll put it in. Here we are. Bring them in. Yes, there is. Hello, John. Hi. Hello, okay. John. There's Stephen. 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 Yeah, how's how Stephen? Good to see you. Thanks for coming. Are you all right? Yeah. Are you doing a bit of work? Well, mostly <laughs> farewells, you know. Oh, dear. Yeah, people are starting getting to know now the exit date. 
So there's a downers John's moving to Surrey, to the home of his son Charlie and daughter-in-law Olivia. So this is the double room that I'm currently sleeping in because we're slowly denuding the house of bedrooms and furniture. (laughs) (laughs) I have been gradually forced into positions as, as my mobility got worse. And so I'm sleeping at the moment in this room. And in fact, I seldom leave this room. It's been a wonderful place for me. In the 53 years that I've been here, many people have passed through it. Uh, the land is, is more important, in a sense, than the house, because I have 64 acres here, and I have planted thousands of trees on it. And in, in particular, I planted one wood 35 years ago. It's now just, as it were, an adolescent woodland. And it's wonderful to behold. And when I leave this place, it'll be well wooded. And uh, my successor is a man called Brendan Green. He's Irish and he's an inventor of video games. He's a very, very good guy. And uh, we're coming to the end of it all now. It's now, what is it now? It's Friday, isn't it? And we leave on Wednesday. So. How do you feel about that, John? A bit numb, I think, in a sense. You know, every, everything is moving so fast that is, I haven't really been able to assess it emotionally. In comes my daughter, Daisy. Next, Daisy, thank you. You mean his slave? Bearing coffee. <laughs> <laughs> coffee, Dad? Hey, I'm going to leave you two guys just alone for about 15 minutes. Uh, Daisy's going to give me a little tour around the house. So I leave Stephen and John to chat and Daisy shows me around. Yeah, so and, um, here we have the hall. Beautiful hallway and that lovely old Georgian door. Lovely big handle. We go out here. The Glebe visitor's book is impressive. Lee Marvin stayed here and Sean Connery and Marianne Faithful stayed here. Anita Pallenberg stayed here. Not just well-known people, but lots of other people. You know, friends, family. And then we come out here onto the, where we park the cars here. There's Jerry. Hey. Right. The keys are in oh, here, God. are they, Jerry? What's that? The keys of the cottages are in here. No. They're not. Where are they? I have them over here because oh. I'm going to be going up and okay. down. Do you, do you want yeah. them? Please. This is Jerry. Yes. And Jerry is uh, fantastic. Yes. Jerry is Dad's right hand, his right hand, really, his eyes, his ears, his, and Jerry absolutely runs Dad's life from everything to his business, to the house, to everything. And if it wasn't for Jerry, I don't know where we'd be. Well, we wouldn't be. Well, I've, I, I've been working uh, here since 2017. I've known John for about oh, 30 years. And where I've moved to, up a new house not too far from here, I didn't have any, the facilities of any stables. And John very kindly said, at any time, the stables here in the barn were mine to take and to use. And um, my relationship with, with John has certainly 
got better and better as the years have gone on since I was down here. And then I'd always call into him and, you know, make sure everything was okay. And then I'd do a bit of driving with his, with John's eyesight, you know, with it deteriorating as the years go on. And uh, everything just snowballed from there. You know, and then he's, you know, asked me to do a little bit more each week, and and I've entirely enjoyed it. Well, I think Jerry will have to always be in Dad's life because Dad can't do without him anymore. Yeah, I'm going over with him to yeah. Surrey, and uh, you know, I keep saying, oh, I'm going over for I go over for a couple of weeks, and then if weeks turn into months, and then years, <laughs> and then uh, but we'll see. You know, uh, you know. Oh, but you'll I'd, be coming back and forward anyway. I will indeed. Yeah, I will. And so, indeed, shall yeah, I show yeah, you the barn now? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Where's the keys there, Jerry? I'll get them for you now, yeah. Hi, Daisy. Oh, I'm coming down to get you. We're just, um, this is Ma up there. So this is Margaret's turned up. This is Jerry's wife. Hello, He's Jerry. doing an interview, Margaret. How are you doing down there? OK, yeah, he's doing an interview. Dad. Pleased to meet you. Because they, they wanted to see all the rooms in the house. No, come here, Margaret. Now, Margaret is, I've known Margaret since I was three years old, and she's an amazing, amazing, fabulous lady. Um, she is very funny, very brilliant, and um, she's a very, very competent lady, I have to say. And um, I can't open this blinking door. Oh, I'll open it for you. Hold on, Daisy. Let me try. Let me try. And we, 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 Foremans and the Burns. All um, grew up together. We all grew up together. And, in the village and of tell, tell them that didn't, Dad, we were talking about the swimming pool. Tell them your story about the swimming pool. Well, John used we to go take in us... so we don't get cold. Okay. Well, John used to take us as kids in what was called the Ivers' Den. He used to take all the village kids in the back of his Rolls Royce and we all went up there swimming. And of course, none of us could swim. Not like the Borman kids, because they had a swimming pool here at the time. So two of us were swimming and we, we didn't realise we all had life jackets on. But you know, if a swimming pool uh, goes right down in the middle like that, you're not prepared. So two of us went down like that and got a terrible fright and we started drowning each other trying to stay up. That's exactly what happened now. And so the other kids were screaming, John. And John dived in in these clothes. And he dived in and came up out of the water and took the two of us to safety at the side. And I mean, the other kids uh, weren't at all worried about us. They were actually watching John. John got out of the pool in his clothes, up and wet, hands in the pockets, and he flung all this money on the table to dry. And all the village kids were mesmerised. Every now and had seen so much money in their lives. So they were looking at the money drying on the table and the, and, and, and the two of us were just traumatised. And shocked. And shocked. And they had to get us out of the pool. And, and Dad saved you. And Dad's, John has told that story. And didn't he more teach dinner you, parties. Didn't he teach you better how me to... greatly. And didn't he teach you better than how to swim after? Well, he did. He was only in Animo a year and he started up this local little soccer team. Mixed boys and girls up at the bridge, in the flat field. Animal Rangers, it was called, and he used to referee it. And he put Katrina and Telsha as captains to make two teams. And so then we listened, we only ever played Lara and round with the local, but it was a bit of fun. It was all a bit yeah, of fun. Great fun. And he was brilliant with kids. He took us climbing the hills around Paddy Duffy's Hill. He was very much into kids and everyone absolutely loved him. He was a great him. adventurer. I think it's because I think Dad was a big kid himself, so he got all the other kids to do the things that he really wanted to do himself. Like childhood. reliving his childhood, yeah. going down the river in a it's boat, true. playing tennis, getting on a horse, 
And this was like the big adventure playground here. We, a lot and of us stayed here it, as kids mm. in the house, in the big house. It was a huge house to us at the time, being kids. And he'd come up and scare us in the middle of the night. He'd come in with a sheet over his head. I remember that one night, and I was sleeping beside Telcher. And um, we were screaming, but he did it just to frighten us. He would do things like that. He was the real adventure. He loved kids. He, he once brought us up to the attic to the top of the house, Charlie, myself, Katrina, and uh, Telcher to the top of the attic. And he had a sparkly apple juice, and he, he said, Champagne for children, sparkly apple juice. And we thought that was so exciting to go up to the roof and then we were allowed to stand on yeah. it, just go up through the attic and stand on the, on the roof of the rectory. And didn't my mother come out and she said, John, what are you doing with the children upstairs on the roof? You must be mad. Are you nuts? Come down immediately. So he was a really big kid. Do you want to join our gang? Don't mind. Do you know any swear words? Yes. Say them. Go on. Say them. You can't join if you can't swear. Uh, I only know one. <laughs> <laughs> Say that one, then. Go on. Fuck. <gasps> that word is special. That word is only used for something really important. Well, he gave a lot of people a start, including Neil Jordan. His first film was Angel, and he... Uh, he you, owned... you were starring in it. Well, it was a sort of a small miracle, you know, and that was my first film as well, but um, in a kind of controversial way, he gave... I think he gave all the funding... Yeah. ..rather than divide up the funding so that several people could make tiny little films that wouldn't... That's right, yeah, yeah. That, mm. there was a bit, of, a bit of a row over that, wasn't there? There um, was a bit of a row, but... Um... I was accused of favouritism or something. Anyway, I survived that. In 1981, the controversy over the nature of the funding of Angel caused a rift between the Association of Independent Producers and members of the newly installed Irish Film Board, primarily John Borman. With Borman's commendation... Neil Jordan approached Channel 4. Jordan secured £400,000 in funding for his debut feature, Angel. This sum was believed to be 80% of the budget, but it came with the proviso that John Borman acted as guarantor. Then all hell broke loose, and among the subsequent denunciations were claims of a conflict of interest because Jordan had filmed a documentary on the making of Borman's Excalibur. But more, that the Irish Film Board, by co-funding Angel to the tune of £100,000, half its annual grant, was leapfrogging more senior and established directors in favour of Neil Jordan. This left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And despite being universally acknowledged, then as now, as a stunning directorial debut, the controversy over Angel brought down the first committee of the Irish Film Board caused John Borman to decline key positions in Irish film circles and resulted in seven years passing before Neil Jordan shot another film in Ireland. But come you back when summer's in the meadow Snow. Or 
I wanted to make it a film that was absolutely categorically against violence and the taking of a gun as a solution to anyone's personal or political problems. But to do that, the problem was that I had to examine exactly that situation. In fact, what I did was I avoided all the stock shots that you get in films of violence, in other words, of hands blowing up and heads blowing off and, you know, very violent, bloody kind of shots in themselves. But actual filming of violence in extreme and loving detail, there's none of that whatsoever in the film. But the strange thing is that because we avoided exactly those things, the sense of the appalling nature of what's happening to the main character is somehow all the more stronger. So people come out of the film feeling quite drained and feeling they have seen, you know, something that is very shocking, very moving. In fact, they have not seen something violent, but what they have seen is the psychological and emotional processes that go behind violence. And uh, I'm glad we launched Neil. You certainly did launch Neil. It was a Neil. very, very, very well-regarded film. Yeah, um, I saw it recently, and um, it's a wonderful film. You know, it has grown with time, you know. Yeah. And you know, what's so fascinating about this film is that it doesn't take sides at all. It just stays in the middle, and you don't know where you are. And you, you mustn't commit to a, a political position. And, uh, yeah. and he well, didn't. Which was extraordinary in 1981. We can show you every face in the country. That would help you. Catholic, Protestant. By the way, in case you're wondering, I'm Jewish. Are you a Catholic Jew or a Protestant Jew? There's the influence there of um, some French directors that, you know, that separated Neil from, say, an English director, you yeah. know. Well, I thought he was, uh, it was... And it's, you know, I, I didn't in interfere. I made only one or two minor interventions. For instance, there was always a sequence where you find the gun. Yes. You know, when you stand up in that car and point the gun, nobody's going to wonder where you got it from. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, there was a long sequence where you find it, do you remember? Yes, yes. And that was, so we were able to cut that. <laughs> it was like uh, Harold Lloyd when he did scene where he is staying in this hotel and it catches fire and he reaches under his bed for a collar rope and hangs out the window and then he, he goes down this rope and you discover he's on the ground floor. So the producer said to him, it was rather fortuitous to find rope under your bed, wasn't it? And Harold Lloyd said, oh, yeah, well, there's a scene where I go to the hardware store and I buy this rope and I take it back to the hotel and I, I stick it under my bed. Oh, said the producer, well, that's all right. Huh? But Harold Lloyd said, but we're not going to shoot that scene. <laughs> 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 and it's the same thing. He's finding you with a gun. It's, not, it's the same thing as finding him as a collar up under the bed. <laughs> well, but, and also it was, it, was, it was your guidance that allowed Neil to select Chris Menges to yeah. be the... He, he to was. film it. And yeah, he, he was a, he's a very good cameraman. He was very special, yeah. He was rather political, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Did, how did you, feel, did you feel about doing it, the film? Well, I didn't fully understand it, I don't think, you know, at first. And But then when I watched it recently, well, I, I always liked it, but I thought it was... What was happening to that guy was not dramatised in a crass way, you know. There's no question. I mean, I saw a screening of Crying Game a couple of years ago, and 
I hadn't seen it for years, and I, I said to Neil after it, you know, this is a, this is a masterpiece, you know, because it, again, it doesn't take sides. Mm. In fact, it, it sort of tells you you mustn't take sides. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But I remember Chris Menges once we were shooting a thing in Angel, and he had a big close-up of Honor Heffernan, mm. and then. He said, OK, we got that, we got that. And he wanted to move on. And I said, but aren't you, aren't you going to turn around and shoot on me? And uh, he said, no, no, we don't need it. We've got... And I looked at Chris and Chris said very formally, always go to the editor with a full complement of shots, <laughs> which was the first formal education that I had in shooting. And so he did shoot it, he did turn around. Anyway... It was a fantastic, unbelievable experience to be working with you. And I have a poster, you know, executive producer John Borman. And that it was incredible because I'd loved your films before. I think Point Blank is the... It's one of the greatest films ever made. Well, that's very kind of you to say it. No, I mean, I really believe it, John. And also I love Deliverance and um, you did Catch Us If You Can. You actually gave some artistic value to the Dave Clark Five. <laughs> My favourite thing about John when he's directing a radio play is that he starts by saying, action! <laughs> <laughs> and of course, actually, a radio play is devoid of action. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's very special. Well, everybody was, would queue up to get into those plays, you know. <laughs> Really, those were wonderful plays. I mean, some wonderful cast, you know, Brenton and yes. Saoirse and... We have a lovely cast, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely beautiful. It's, it's just wonderful, been wonderful to work with you at, at any level. And you did a number of plays for me and I, I'm, I'm very grateful. Oh, listen, they were, it, was, it was an utter pleasure. So this is the basement. We used to call it the rat hole. I had this room in here, lovely room. And um, so I grew up in here, and then my brother grew up in this room here. Oh, he had a toy box with cars and little motorbikes in and all sorts. He'd be in here taking them apart and then putting them back together again. So, of course, later on with the motorbikes, and he, he's actually really good at fixing bikes too. So from a little age, he was sitting here taking everything apart and then putting it all back together again. That's Charlie. Charlie, yeah, yeah. Are you Charlie and you twins? We're twins. He's 15 minutes older than me. He reminds me that he's my older brother and that I, I must do what he says. <laughs> so he grew up in this lovely room. And, and then over here now was my sister Talsha's room. She's no longer with us, but she had a lovely big bed in here. Telcher died of ovarian cancer in 1997. She was 39 years old. John planted a Himalayan larch in her name. Oh, this is just a room that, um, well, an archive room that um, held all Dad's um, film stuff. His, yeah, he would have had um, writing and the BBC stuff, and he would have had Zardos, Excalibur. The Heretic, Exorcist 2, Where the Heart Is, The Tailor of Panama, and Hope and Glory, and Family Photographs, 
uh, Christopher Isherwood diary. I think that was just scripts and books, Adventures of a Suburban Boy, Money into Light, The General, and Hope and Glory, as again, Hope and Glory, and Beyond Rangoon. Yeah, we had lots of posters in here of um, Point Blank and uh, Deliverance and... Hell in the Pacific, Leo the Last. A lot of his archives now have gone to the Indiana University in America, uh, which is wonderful because um, John Ford's stuff is there too. And it's better there where people can see it, learn from it, because it's no good just sitting on a shelf with his kids just sitting there, you know. So it's great that that's done that. And this stuff here, I think, is editing equipment. Yes, the moviola. This is the equipment that John used with his initial films. The man behind John's um, uh, moviola here uh, and brains is a man called uh, Ron Davis. And these machines here, they were the original of the species of the moviola. They used to turn, as John explained to me, put the actual movie into the reels here. They turn out. Uh, John, before he left, has and did offer it to the IFI but unfortunately, they, they wouldn't really have use for it, even when they're teaching the students now. Unfortunately, it's all digital, so it's defunct. Yeah. But it's an awful shame because they are the original of the species, like, you know, they really are. It's unfortunate, you know, but there you are. That there, as we're going out here on the left, is the sauna. And it has the original coals there and there's for... There's many a pound has been shed there. <laughs> Do you see that big mo monkey puzzle tree? Well, John had this fella who worked here. He was a local electrician, and he only had one hand, but he was the only one who could get up to the very top of that monkey puzzle tree and have it full of coloured lights that for was Christmas that was, um... Um, when John came home from holidays. Mm -hmm. He'd have all the Christmas tree lit up. Mick Daly. Mick Daly. Mick Daly, a local guy. A beautiful Mick Daly. Yeah. And in here now is the lovely conservatory. Um, my mum's name was Crystal, and it's, we called it the Crystal Palace. Crystal and John married in 1956. They parted in 1990. Crystal was mother to Katrina, Telsha, Charlie and Daisy. Yeah, so... Crystal had great taste. She was she was really great with her design, and she she inspired a lot of people around Wicklow. You know, she's a lovely nature. Lovely nature. And she would come back from the films, and the staff would be in the house and on the grounds. They all got a lovely present. And I remember she used to bring the women in the house back in dresses. I mean, she was so thoughtful. She'd know their size. She'd know exactly. And my grandmother Nana made Hurley work for her for years. And she used to cook and do the housekeeping for years and another local lady, Bridge Belton. So the house and place gave a lot of local employment. And there's a huge wall garden out there. And a man by the name of Jack Byrne. Jack Byrne. He yeah. was fantastic green fingers. And they grew everything out there, everything he organic. He was the kindest, gentlest ever man. We all loved him so much. Jack Byrne. Yeah. Just talking about it makes me want to cry. I Hold know. On. It was a lovely song. And now, doing all that organic and, and crystal cooked. She cooked all the vegetables and the fruit and everything from the garden. Mm. 
fed all the actors and actresses and all the filmmakers and everyone behind the scenes. And the great thing about treated. my mother, you see, is yeah. she didn't want to be in the limelight. She was a giver, a nurturer of actors, a nurturer of people, and she managed my father very, very well because she didn't, she didn't care less about being important. And that was her fabulous gift to my father and to all of us she as a family. everybody the same, everybody. Actors, actresses, celebrities, village kids, everybody was fed. Yeah. Do you remember you wouldn't know what she'd arrive home with, Daisy? Yeah. She'd go off with a leather bag under her arm full of catch, which you could do in those days. You'd be safe to do it back then. And she could arrive back here and a truck behind her with a big pine dresser. She'd have bought it off the travellers in, in the Rocky Valley on the mm. way home from shopping. She'd stop mm. and, and she, she came home with a pony another time, didn't she? Mm. She was brilliant. Mm. She'd buy everything and well, anything. She was wonderful. She really was the lady that actually created, you know... She was the woman behind she, the man. She, she was, yes, she was the woman behind the man and she, you know, she did everything with style, that it fitted with the grounds, with the place. She supported your dad full time. And she was absolutely wonderful as a manager for my dad. Uh, because he does need management. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good note to finish, John. And uh, they're waiting uh, on us up there. Yeah, right. they're waiting on us up there. John subsequently married Isabella, who is mother to Lola, Lee, and Lily May. And, and um, I've been here like all those years through my childhood, teenage, and I've been here through all his marriages, and I'm still here. I'm here, I've been loads of different jobs, caretaking the place when they be away filming and looking after the horses. And I'm still here and I'm going to miss the man like he's my dad. All good things come to an end. What's next? Well, I hope it's grave. I'm looking forward. To... <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm coming up to my 90th birthday, which is, means I have hung around here for 10 years longer than I deserve. So I shall just live in this bird's nest that my daughter-in-law has built for me up in the sky and we'll just see what happens. I don't think I shall... I don't think I'm going to make any more films or anything. I enjoyed the films that I made here very much and uh, often made them with very inexperienced crews, Irish mm. crews, but I, I put them in through a fire of, of criticism. <laughs> So. Well, they, they are more professional now, and that's because you started a process. I do, I do think that. Yeah, no, yes, they're very good. They're very good. Mm. Irish technicians are well-regarded yeah. worldwide now. And also, um, they're very civil, you know. They've, they've got a nice personal touch as well, which yeah. uh, isn't always the case. So that's been, that's been a huge contribution that you've made. Well, thank you. And uh, I've enjoyed the cut and thrust, that what I shall most miss, I think. Also the land mm. and the trees. I, I feel a bit guilty about skulking away and leaving my trees in, into the hands of somebody else. But I have, I can't. If I died, I, I, I couldn't look after them, so someone else has got to take, take over. Even though it's been a great day, the drive home is sombre, muted and reflective. And it's OK to be reflective. I won't turn on the radio, 
but my internal car radio starts scanning again for John's gentle brilliance of the microphone and the wise reflections he shared in his nature diary. One eye, one finger. One of the greatest pleasures nature has to offer is the sight of swallows wheeling and dancing in the wind as they were this afternoon. It reminded me of a day during the Battle of Britain when high up in a clear blue sky, we watched a dogfight between a Spitfire and a Messerschmitt. They wheeled and twisted, but there was no sound. They were too high up. Finally, the German plane fell in smoke and flames. We clapped and cheered. The Spitfire dipped and did a victory roll. Wasn't it wonderful, said my mother. They were like a pair of swallows. Well, he was telling me about how when he was doing his national service in Britain, he had to educate young men going to fight in Korea. He had to tell them what was what. He told them that it was uh, an unjustified war. And he wasn't supposed to tell them that. And uh, I thought it was a wonderful thing, because sure, every war is unjustified, really, isn't it? But um, he, he was hauled up, and they asked to see his notes that justified his statement. It was all cuttings from the London Times. So they couldn't really challenge that. So he was let off the hook. I thought it was good to be telling them, letting them know. So I said, but why don't you do a film about that? You know? Well, he won't. Probably not. Probably not, but... He's been lucky, though, as well in life. I mean, that could have gone either way. Because mm. that's basically sedition or, or treason. Oh, that's what he was being accused of. But the sedition thing had to be dropped when it, all the information came from the London Times. But it showed his nerve yeah. and his individuality. He's uh, a one-off, isn't he? Mm. Sure is. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Better. Even I can't drive up this in, in fourth gear. Thanks for driving me home. My pleasure. What a great day. It's a great day. It's a wonderful day. All right, Steve. Okay. See you, buddy. God bless. Good luck. Slon. Slon, good boy. Okay. Slon, bye bye. In his life's work as an artist and environmentalist, John Borman's been true to himself. 
an English oak thriving in this emerald forest, politely reminding us of our shared artistic and environmental heritage. This morning as I walked out, looking at my trees that I keep as pets, I was reminded of the six months I spent in the Amazon, the greatest forest in the world, preparing and making the film The Emerald Forest. It was an experience that profoundly changed me. I came to realize that this is a tree planet and we cannot survive without them. When there are more people than trees in the world, we are in deep trouble. That was goodbye to the Glebe, a farewell to John Borman. You heard the voices of Stephen Ray, Daisy Borman, Jerry Trainer, Margaret Byrne, Neil Jordan, Miles Dungan, Honor Heffernan and John Borman. The music was composed and performed by Cullen Mokinumura. The sound recordist and engineer was Ruth Kennington. The rendition of Danny Boy from the film Angel was performed by Honor Heffernan with Keith Donald on saxophone. The Dave Clark Five sang Catch Us If You Can. And appropriately on his patron saint's feast day, Drama on One would like to say a special thanks to Stephen Ray on Stephen's Day for both his kindness and generosity. Not only did he speak so eloquently to John and about John, but the first he knew about this programme was on the day it was recorded when Kevin Reynolds arrived at his door with a digital recorder and a rough idea. And you might like to know that Stephen Ray will star in Landmark's 20th anniversary production of Crap's Last Tape by Samuel Beckett at Dublin's Project Arts Centre from January 11th to February the 3rd. You can find details at landmarkproductions.ie. You can also check out Drama on One's Beckett season and John Borman's plays on the Drama on One website. Goodbye to the Glebe with an original score composed and performed by Cullen Mokinumura was mixed and engineered by Ruth Kennington. The series producer of Drama on One is Kevin Reynolds. Banachdine Fela Erev Agus Aflin Fuivasha Dziv Geleerd.
Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.